Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. So if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know we've been preaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we are going to take a break from 1 Corinthians for a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, you say, well, why? And simply put, uh, I really feel led. We need to spend some time looking at Jesus. Amen. And so looking in the Gospels, and you can never go wrong learning from Jesus. And so we're going to take some time today. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to hear him. And by God's grace, we're going to obey him. Amen. The city in our setting this morning is the city of Bethany. Jesus and his disciples are traveling, uh, probably on their way to Jerusalem, perhaps even for one of the feasts. And we find here in the account this morning that Jesus shows up at his friend's house for a visit. This visit provides you and I a profound lesson that if we let it, it will change us, it will strengthen us, it will sustain us if we learn it. And Jesus this morning is going to simply teach us to do what the title says, teach us to choose the good part. So look with me, beginning in verse 38, we're going to dive right in this morning. The Bible says, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. I want you to notice this morning, if you're taking notes, the passion for God's work. The passion for God's work. We have here this lady named Martha. And if you stop and give it some thought, you realize the hospitality that Martha was extending to Jesus was really a marvelous thing. Martha opened her home and received Jesus and his companions. Stop and remember with me. Jesus, at a bare minimum, traveled with how many? Twelve. So at a bare minimum, this is 13 people she's receiving into her home. I'm sure you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10. If you go back and look at verse number 1 of this chapter, look what it says. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. And so in the very near past, Jesus was traveling with a very big group. I don't know if it was 13. I don't know if it was 71. I don't know if it was somewhere in between. But this lady Martha opened her home and received Jesus and his companions. She provided a place for them to rest, a place for them to recharge, a place for them to fellowship, a provision of food. This lady Martha, she shouldered the exertion and the expense necessary to host Jesus and his people. You know, hospitality was a big deal back then. It wasn't, you know, hospitality today, it's an issue of good manners. But it was more than that back then. It was an issue of good morals. If you did not rightly host people, it was considered an immoral act. It was a big, big deal. I remind you as well, they didn't have smartphones or even telephones to call or text ahead. We simply see that it came to pass that as they went... And so these occasions were often not planned weeks or even days in advance. They just showed up. And this lady Martha opened her home for Jesus and his companions. You know, we see in this lady Martha that she was passionate 
about God's work. You know, we see in this lady Martha that she was a dedicated servant for Jesus. She received him. It means she welcomed him and embraced all that was required to have Jesus in her house. Now, let me ask you before we go much further. How welcome is Jesus in your home? How welcome is Jesus in your life? You see, because when it comes to people showing up, we understand when somebody shows up, the day changes. And depending on who that somebody is, could totally rearrange our day. By the way, Jesus is one of those people. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. So how welcome is Jesus in your life and in your home? Think about it this way. We've got people, we have people in our life that are welcome anytime. Some people are always welcome. There are some people who could walk in my front door and my response would be, hey, how's it going? Because they're always welcome. There are some people who are welcome all the time. There are some people who are welcome sometimes. (laughs) Though sometimes people walk through my front door and I'm going to go, hey, what do you think you're doing? You see, those are the people we need to set a time. We need to set a date. We need to make sure things are a certain way. We need to make sure we have our ducks in a row. You see, there are some people that are welcome all the time. There are some people that are welcome sometimes. And there are some people, well, when they show up, you step out on the porch and pull the door shut behind you. It's good to see you. How you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. Can I help you? How welcome is Jesus in your life? How welcome is Jesus in your home? Can I ask you, does Jesus, does Jesus have the welcome from you, the green light, to show up and change your plans? Does Jesus have the green light for you to show up and ask for your service, to receive your attention? How welcome is Jesus in your life? We see here that Jesus was welcomed. He was received into Martha's home. And Martha was a lady passionate about God's work. Can I give you a couple of thoughts on this? Number one, think about this. We need people who are passionate about God's work. Can I tell you, we need people who are passionate about God's work. You know, sometimes Martha gets a bad rap, doesn't she? If you've been around church and you've heard this story before, we always do what? We always compare Martha with Mary. And we talk about, well, we want to have a merry heart in a Martha world. And Martha, bad, 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 bad. Mary, good, 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 good. Martha gets a bad rap. But you ever thought about this? If Martha hadn't been willing to work like she did, Mary would have never been able to sit at Jesus' feet. If Martha hadn't done her thing... Mary's thing wouldn't have been possible. We need people who are passionate about God's work. Because what happens? When we are passionate about God's work, what happens? We see it in the text. Other people get to come and see Jesus. You know, Jesus, the Bible, the Lord calls us to be passionate about his work. You look at just chapter 10. The chapter starts with what? Jesus commissioning seven to do what? To go and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. To go and preach the good tidings of Jesus. Hey, what did Jesus commission them to do? To go and be busy, passionate about God's work. Jesus gives a parable. 
in uh, Luke chapter 10 as well, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what do we find there? We find a man who was willing to be inconvenienced, a man who was willing to be sacrificial, a man who was willing to give up his time and his energy and his money. What? To help other people. We need people who are passionate about God's work. Because when you and I are passionate about God's work, other people have an opportunity to see and to hear and to know the Savior. You think about it, the sound room. The sound room doesn't get a lot of press unless it's bad press. But the reality is, if we didn't have men and women who were willing to give of themselves and be back there, a lot of you would have a hard time hearing me. What do you say? Yeah. The people on the radio wouldn't be able to hear me at all. We wouldn't have anybody watching on Facebook. We wouldn't have the capacity to take what we do and to put it in other places for people to find online. If we didn't have men and women who were willing to serve back there, I'm going to tell you, there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't be able to come and hear and see and meet with Jesus. Think about our nursery. Oh, I thank God for our nursery. Amen? Again, nursery is kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind. But I praise the Lord, we have men and women who are willing to work in our nursery, to work with our babies and our young people. Why? So that we in here can focus with minimal distraction on God's word and what God has for us. You know, I praise the Lord that we have people who are willing to serve that others might be able to see and hear and meet with Jesus. You can apply that to just about every ministry. Our Sunday school teachers who who teach the boys and girls about Jesus. Our Christian school teachers who who get up every day and, and seek to introduce our young people to Jesus and how God created the world and where he's at in math and history and science. I thank the Lord for our musicians, for our maintenance volunteers. You, you realize that uh, I'm not real handy. I'm still trying to figure out the sticky end of the drywall tape. And that if we didn't have men who were willing to give up their time and expertise to help keep this place up and running well, this place would be in sad, sad shape. But why do we do that? We do that so others can come and can hear and see and meet with Jesus. Why do we stay late? Why do we come early? Why do we practice? Why do we prepare? Because we get to be a part of helping other people come to know Jesus. Church, hear me. We need people who are passionate about God's work. This is a good thing. Can I say it a little more pointedly? Not just we need people. But if you're a child of God, you need to be passionate about God's work. God has gifted you. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God gifted you for the work of the ministry. The biblical concept is every member is a minister. We are all ministering God's work together. You are gifted, you are placed, and you need to be passionate about God's work. Some of you know what that is. Run at it with all your heart. Some of you aren't sure what that is. Come talk to me. I would be glad to help you find it. But we are all saved and gifted to serve. We're not saved to sit and to soak and to sour. 
I use the illustration sometimes, a, a pond that has an inlet but no outlet, it gets pretty scummy before long because there's not the capacity for the water to flow and to move. When we come and we don't serve and we just sit and we soak, what do we do? We sour. And you end up with, pardon the analogy, but some pretty scummy Christians who are only concerned about themselves. Titus chapter 2 tells us this. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Notice the progression. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You need to be passionate about God's work. God has you here for some purpose. We see, first of all, this morning, we see the passion for God's work. But I want you to see what happens here. Look with me at verses 39 and 40. And she, this is Martha, Martha had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, I think she had her hand on her hip, Lord, dost thou not care that my my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. So yeah, we see first of all the the passion for God's work. But church, we got to watch out because secondly, we see in this the peril of growing weary. The peril, the danger of growing weary. Galatians 6 and verse number 9 tells us this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I used this one verse, I could have picked a dozen. Why does the Bible tell us over and over and over again to not grow weary, to stay faithful, to keep going, to not give up, to not give in, to not let down? Why does the Bible tell us that over and over and over again? Because God knows that weariness and discouragement are very naturally a part of our human experience. How many of us have ever been there just weary one way or another? Come on. Church is a great place to be honest. How many of us have ever been there just been weary, tired? We see here Martha. Martha, busy, 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 busy. The Bible describes this woman as cumbered. That word, it means to literally be pulled in all directions. It is that distracted kind of burdened kind of busy weighed down. I'll give you two illustrations to help you maybe understand this a little better. This is mom getting her kids ready for school. Mom, where's my lunch? Mom, where's my instrument? Mom, where's my science book? Mom, where's this? Son, you didn't brush your hair. What's going on? And it's, this is mom trying to get the kids ready for school every day. I mean, being pulled apart in all directions. The other part of this being weighed down, this is men carrying in the Walmart bags. I mean, God gave us ten fingers and ten toes for a reason. We're doing it in one trip. And if we can't, then we've got to turn in our man card.
But here's the thing about weariness, being pulled apart, being weighed down. How many of us can attest to this weariness, if not properly addressed, seeps into every aspect of our being? You see, Martha here, it began with a physical weariness. It began with her physically being cumbered about. But it didn't stay there, did it? You, you listen to Martha here in verse number 40, and you recognize Martha is not just physically weary. She is emotionally weary. She is spiritually weary. This weariness has, has affected and weighed down every aspect of her being. And by the way, when we don't address weariness properly, it causes us a litany of problems. Can we consider a few? We see here from verse number 40 that when we grow weary, we, and by we I mean our own personal perceived experience and performance, become the standard by which we judge others. Martha said, wait a minute, Mary's not doing what I'm doing. I'm doing more than she is. I'm carrying a greater load. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And our perceived experience, our perceived performance becomes the standard by which we judge others. But I remind us from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that what happens when we compare ourselves among ourselves, go to the second part of the verse if you would. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You see what happens. We look at other people and we think, well, they're not doing as much as I am. I don't know why I have to serve three times a month and they only have to serve one. I don't know why I'm doing all of this and I have to come 30 minutes early and they get to show up right on time. They aren't as engaged as I am. I'm the only one. We're the only ministry Nobody works as hard as the sound room. Nobody works as hard as the nursery. Nobody loves God as much as are you. Nobody cares about God's word as much as Sunday school. Oh boy, when we start to grow weary, what happens? We begin to judge everyone around us by our own perceived standard and performance. It's good for us to remember that not everyone has to be in your ministry and minister the way you do. It's good for us to remember that God places different people in different places for different reasons. And no one's going to be like you. Because no one is you but you. So what are some of these problems? Number one, the first problem, when we grow weary, what happens? We become the standard by which we judge others. Number two, what, what happens when we grow weary? When we grow weary, we engage in self-pity. You can see it, verse number 40, Martha was cumbered, much serving, and came to him, Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you care that my sister has left me all alone? Lord, Lord, make her help me. Oh, woe is me. When we grow weary, we engage in self-pity. Why? Because we've allowed ourselves to become the filter and the focus for how we view life. May I say gently this morning, you are not the filter and you are not the focus. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Here's a good rule of thumb. When life and relationships are full of drama and you feel like everyone is against you, okay? 
it may be time to consider the common denominator. If every relationship you have, the world is just against you, you, you may, it may be time to consider the common denominator. When we grow weary, what happens? We engage in self-pity. When we grow weary, we become the standard by which we judge others. When we grow weary, we engage in self-pity. Let me give you another one. When we grow weary, we distance ourselves from others and even dehumanize them. What do you mean? I, 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 I marvel here. So we learn from verse 39, where is Mary? Mary is where? Mary is at Jesus' feet, right? Let's say it together. Mary is at Jesus' feet. Now, now, where does Martha come to? She comes to Jesus. So, Micah, you can be Jesus, and we'll let you be Mary, all right? I'll be Martha. For sake of illustration only. So, Martha comes up to Jesus, Jesus. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Where's her sister? Right there. She's right there. Don't you care, again, hand on the hip, that my sister has left me to serve alone? By the way, what's her name? Mary, that's almost like when the wife looks at me and says, you need to do something about your son, right? (laughs) He has a name and we all know it. And yeah, yeah, he's probably too much like me. Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You should make her help me. Now, what might have been the better way to do it? Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. I know you're here at Jesus' feet, but I could really use some help for the next five minutes. Would you mind helping me? Oh, man. See, like to actually talk to them and address them and be kind? I mean, that really seems like a scenario that sets us up for success moving forward. But that's not what we did. Jesus, you need to do something about my sister. But before we laugh it off, how many of us, when we grow weary and we get burdened, and what happens? The devil starts to create distance between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, sometimes a lot of things could be solved if we just came humbly and said, you know, I, I, I know maybe we're a little bit off this. I know you're doing something. But it, would it be possible for us to, to, hmm. But instead of doing that, what do we do? Instead of talking to the person, we talk about the person. Instead of going to the person and humbly trying to explain what we need, we just simply whine and complain. And when we do that, let me ask you, when Martha went to Jesus, do you think that helped Mary? Or do you think the devil would want to use something like that to put even more distance between them? You see, before we laugh it off, guys, we do this stuff all the time. And we get burdened with people and we get weary and there's misunderstandings and miscommunications. And instead of just exhaling, 
humbly going to somebody and saying, hey, in God's grace, let's, let's talk about this. Very often, we do the opposite. And instead of talking with someone, we talk about someone. In our weariness, we allow it to pull us away and motivate us even to attack the other. See, what happens when we grow weary? We, we become the standard by which we judge others. What happens when we grow weary? We engage in self-pity. What happens when we grow weary? We distance ourselves from and even dehumanize other people. What happens when we grow weary? We doubt God's plan, God's perception, and God's care. Did you see how Martha phrased it here in verse number 40? Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord! Dost thou not care? You must not care, Jesus. God, you don't see it. Or God, if you do see it, then it must mean you don't care. Come on now, church. Come on. If we just stopped for a second, we'd remember what Paul said, Romans chapter 8. That he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Of course, Jesus cares. But when we grow weary, we're tempted to doubt it. Church, we need people who are passionate for God's work. Amen? But we got to be careful. Because there certainly is the peril of growing weary. But I'm so glad Jesus offers the cure. Amen. Look at what Jesus says in verses 41 and 42. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary have chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. We've seen the passion for God's work. We've seen the perils of growing weary. Finally this morning, we need to see the priority of genuine worship. The priority of genuine worship. I love how Jesus here, He compassionately draws Martha in. Martha. Martha. I mean, as he talks to her, you can almost feel him uncumbering her as he speaks. He says, you know, there's a lot of things going on, Martha, and I know there's a lot of things that you need to do. But really, one thing is a required necessity. And that's that good part that Mary has chosen. And that is quiet Humble, heartfelt worship at Jesus' feet. What does it mean to sit and worship at Jesus' feet? Well, it requires a humbling of self. It means an honoring of the Savior. It means that we are coming into His presence that we might hear and that we might heed what God has to say to us. 
When I come to worship at his feet, I am coming to adjust my posture to him, not expecting him to adjust his posture to me. And Christian, the most needful thing in your life today is not a miracle, and it's not a mission. Not a miracle from God and not a mission from God. The most needful thing in your life today is a moment with God. Church, this is the good part. This is the good part. Why is this the good part? Because this, sitting and worshiping at Jesus' feet, it provides the strength to serve and the serenity to stay. James chapter 4 and verse number 6, we're reminded that he gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when I humble myself to sit at his feet, what do I find? That I find that he gives me all the grace I need. This is the good part. Strength to serve, serenity to stay. This is the good part because it is a protected place. I love what Jesus said. Mary has chosen the good part. What did he say? Which shall not be taken from her. In other words, Jesus was saying, this place that Mary has chosen to be, Martha, you don't get to upend it. It's a protected part. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2, the Bible reminds us this. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He said this, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And the reality is when you and I choose the good part, we enter into a protected place that the world can't touch. This is the good part because it provides a strength. It provides a serenity. This is the good part because it is a protected place. Church, I remind you, this is the good part because this is getting to Jesus. And Jesus really is still the answer. This world wants to make this so complicated, but it's really not. Jesus is still the answer. Do you need light for your life? Jesus said, hey, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let me ask you, has this world left you hungering for something more? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let me ask you, has this world left you thirsty? Jesus said, I am the living Water Has this world and this life left you pained and, and, and anxious and concerned over life and death? And Jesus said, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. Has this world left you beat up and do you need somebody to care for you? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Has this world left you needing a place to belong? Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus really is the answer. He really is the answer for your burden, for your care, for your family. Jesus really is the answer. 
He's the friend that never forsakes. He's the bridegroom that's coming again. The priority of genuine worship. And so I ask us, church, this morning, I ask each of us, when is the last time that you have come and that you have humbled yourself before him? And just said, Lord, just just as I am, I come. When is the last time that you have just come and placed yourself at his feet and just said, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm yours. When is the last time that you really met him in his word? When is the last time that you really met him in prayer? You know, worship, worship, this thing of worship, worship is simply acknowledging the worth of another and acting accordingly. His greatness and his glory require that we quiet our heart and we come before him and we sit at his feet. I'm going to tell you, this, this thing is not a religion. Re- religion. Religion doesn't get you to heaven. Religion will send you to hell. This is a relationship. This is a relationship with a living God. This is the good part. I'm not asking when's the last time you worked and served and did and ran and when's the last time you even checked off the Bible reading and prayed through the prayer list. I'm asking when's the last time that you met with God? How is your relationship with God? This is the good part. You know, they say self-assessment is a good thing. The Bible says self-assessment is a good thing. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 31 tells us as much. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And as I thought about this passage this week, I I recognized that there is a danger that churches like Harvest are prone to. I think this danger is exemplified in the case of the church of Ephesus. We see in Revelation 2, we see this church of Ephesus and what Jesus had to say to it. Jesus said this, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walkest in the midst of the golden, seven golden candlesticks. That's Jesus. He says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake has labored and not fainted. Now I identify with that church. Because if there's one thing I think we do a lot around here is work. We work, 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 work. I mean, praise God, we've almost already gotten a John and Romans to every house in the city of Clyde. Praise God. I mean, we're working. We're going. Uh, Golden Apples, Bible Assembly, they're putting them together. Uh, The church is taking them out. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, we're working in the Christian school, K-4 through 12th grade. We're we're working in junior church. We're working in nursery. We're working in jail ministry. We're working in nursing homes. We're working in this and this and this and this and this and this and this. You look at the summer, it's nuts. I mean, we've got got VBS coming up, and then we've got All Our Father's Day, and then we've got the couples retreat, and then we're going to have Fourth of July 
picnic thing out there. So I'm going to need some hot dog cooking, Mike Lane, perhaps, maybe. Hey, that's the call of the Lord, my friend. But uh, uh, we, we're going to go and go and go at some point. We'll probably have root beer floats because we do that during the summer. And then we got the fair ministry. And, man, that fair ministry takes a lot of work, doesn't it? And we go and we go and we go and we go and we go. And we try to be true to God's word. We try to say in love, thus saith the Lord, that uh, this is what God said. There is no real, there's no wiggle room here. Thus saith the Lord, this is where we stand. And we try to stand for truth and we do all these things. I identify with that. And Jesus isn't telling them that all that they were doing was bad. But look at verse 4. He says, nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else, he says, I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. What's Jesus saying to this church that we work, 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 but work without worship won't last. And so what does Jesus call this church to do? What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to remember, to remember. You know, when we think about that, I do hope that all of us are more in love with Jesus today than we have ever been, but I know that's not the case. Because my heart, my soul, like yours, is prone to wander. The, the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And the reality about our love, if, in any case, is that love that is not continually developed will diminish. Love that is not continually developed will diminish. You think about it about the newlywed couple. Uh, the newlywed couple who would go to the ends of the earth for one another. And I mean, they would. I, I, those couples that just said, I do. I mean, if one of them wanted, they would travel uh, across the United States and back just to be able to display their love one for another. You get 10, 15, 20 years in and you honestly don't really want to go to the fridge anymore for one another. And so... Uh, it, uh, not that I would know from personal experience, but love that's not continually developed diminishes. Man, I think we've got to remember that when it comes to our worship and love for Jesus, that maybe it wasn't always this way, and it doesn't always have to be this way. That we can be more in love with Jesus today than we have ever been. You know, honestly, that's why we serve. You know, we talked earlier about the sound room. You know, those of us who work the sound room, I pray we don't do it because nobody else will. I pray we don't do it because we love technology. I pray we do it because we love Jesus. Amen. We talked about the nursery. I pray we don't do it because we have to, because we have a kid in there. I pray we don't do it because we just like kids. I pray we do it because we love Jesus. I pray that's why we do our you. I pray that's why we teach Sunday school. I pray that's why we go on visitation. I pray that's why we do maintenance. I pray that's why we, we clean and we cut grass and we, we do office work and we order things. I pray that's why we do all of it is because we love Jesus. 
Jesus calls this church to remember. And Jesus calls this church to repent. To repent means to recognize that you're heading in a wrong direction. You can be well-intentioned and still be going in the wrong direction. Repent means to recognize that you are heading in a wrong direction and turn around. You know, often, I, I, sometimes I'll hear the statement, well, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I'd rather go out working, 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 working. But here's the thing, whether you burn out from overactivity or rust out from doing nothing, out is out, no matter how you slice it. And so long as God leaves you on this earth, he doesn't intend for you to be out. We're called to repent and get back to where we started, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let me give you two concluding applications and we're done. Number one, to the busy. To the busy. What God wants most is not our help, but our heart. You recognize we really have nothing unique to offer him but our love. A lot of people can teach the class. A lot of people can run the soundboard. A lot of people can talk on the radio. A lot of people can sing and play instruments. The one unique thing that you have to offer our God that nobody else has is your heart. And being back right with God rekindling our love for him is really just a prayer, a choice, a way to choose the good part. To the burden this morning. You know, the question, Jesus, don't you care, is a question that is deeply felt. You know, the one other time I see that that was asked in the scriptures was when Jesus and his disciples were on a boat. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Of course he cares. But you know what I find here to the burden this morning? Whether the storm is on the inside like Martha, or whether the storm is on the outside like the disciples, Jesus cares, and Jesus is still the answer. Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What do we learn this morning? Choose the good part. Choose Jesus. Would you choose this morning simply to come, sit at his feet, and worship him? Father, we